This is the Employment Law Show. And welcome to it. Uh, good evening. It is uh, Monday. Good to have you along. John Schools here. Andrew Goldberg, Sam Firu, Tamarkin, LLP. Lawyer there, knowledgeable and ready to answer your questions. Andrew is. You want to reach out to Andrew, by the way, any other time? Easy. No problem. one 821 5900 help at employmentlawyer.ca. The website to be used anytime by you as well. Free, anonymous, called pocketemploymentlawyer.ca. But here and now, phone lines wide open, ready for your questions. 416-870-6400 is how you call in live tonight, ask your questions. Whether it's about vaccine mandates, going back to work, uh, constructive dismissal, been put on a temporary layoff, anything under the uh, the whole banner of the pandemic, or otherwise, you know, plain good old-fashioned severance questions, bring those on as well. We'd love to answer them all. 416-870-6400, that email address, too. In between that and the, the phone calls and emails, we'll get to a couple topics if we have time. First one is, can my employer do this? We'll answer some of the more obvious ones, or at least popular ones that we get as far as emails and phone calls are concerned. That'll be great to do. And if we uh, we have some time a little later on, human rights violations in the workplace, that will come up as well. But as mentioned, the top priority is always your phone call. So do not hesitate. Again, 416-870-6400. Mr. Goldberg, what is, uh, what's going on with you, brother? What do you got for the week that was? Well, the world is opening up finally. Yeah, no once kidding. And for all. So start Monday on a high note. That's it. Uh, thankfully. And it's good to be back. I've been off for a while. So... Uh, pleasure being back with you, John. And uh, to kick it off, I wanted to discuss a few kind of pertinent issues um, that have kind of revealed themselves in my practices of late. I had two different clients kind of go through the same situation, and I realized it's it really isn't as rare of a circumstance as, as you might think on the surface. But it involved two individuals who are off work on a medical leave of absence. And for a significant period of time, for months and months and upwards of a year, they were permitted to be on the leave, uh, to go go on the leave to begin with. They did provide medical documentation, um, but they really hadn't been contacted since then. And out of nowhere, uh, both individuals, separately, they're separate matters, but they realized that their benefits had been cut off, their health and dental benefits. And they went one day to pick up prescriptions and they said, you know, the pharmacist said, you know, you're not covered anymore. You got to pay full price, which is a huge shock, obviously, if you're expecting that uh, lower rate. And after following up with their employer... Uh, Their employer took the position that, hey, you know, we haven't heard from you for months, uh, you know, almost a year, uh, upwards of a year in one situation. And we're taking the position that in light of not hearing from you, you've abandoned your job, Mm -hmm. you've effectively resigned, you're gone, you're out of here. And both individuals obviously, you know, pleaded with their employers and said, uh, by no stretch of the imagination, if I left my job, I've been on a medical leave. And the employers said, hey, you know, we need more medical documentation. You had an obligation to reach out to us. You can't just sit there and not kind of contact us at any point in time. <clears throat> and I just want the listeners to know out there that if, you know, you find yourself in this situation or you know someone in this similar situation, um, that that's just absolutely unacceptable. Uh, the employer cannot... Um, take the position that you've abandoned your job because you haven't reached out, they have a corresponding obligation to reach out to you. And actually, they have more of the obligation than you do. And the court system has found that the onus is actually on the employer 
demonstrate that the employee has you know unequivocally resigned or abandoned their job or left their job obviously in both of these instances until the employer reaches out and says hey do you have any intention on coming back and the employee says no uh, it's it's a premature assessment so both of those individuals have very viable wrongful dismissal claims and you know if, if you're a listener and you you find yourself in the same boat uh, don't hesitate to give us a call just as a, a matter of practice, if someone is off on a medical leave, a lengthy one, is there a, a recommendation that you've seen as far as just reaching out to the employer saying, hey, hey, still here, still working on coming back, not ready yet, but uh, I'll stay in touch every few weeks, every couple months? What do you think? I, I think what it comes down to is typically if you get a medical note or if your doctor fills out, like, you know, sometimes they, they call them a functional abilities form that right. speak, speak to how long you have to be off or just speak to, you know, your medical issues and your leave generally, there will be a section on either the note or in the form that says how long you expect this to last, right? So, you know, what I'll see from clients is they'll get a note saying, oh, for the next three months, um, they cannot work and they'll continue to be reassessed at that time. So I would say if you're an employee and you give a note that has some kind of window in it, you know, I think it's incumbent on you to follow up at the expiration of that period and say, and, and provide another note. Now, ultimately that's kind of like a best practice thing. I would highly advise doing that. But if you, if you have a note that says you need to be off for six months, you don't have to follow up every month to let them know that you're off. I mean, you've done your part and, and there's nothing wrong with that there. If the employer takes issue with something, then leave it to them to contact you. But you know, the real moral of the story is this is the employer can't kind of their responsibilities by trying to bank on an employee just you know being on a sick leave and not contacting them right so even in a situation where your note might only span a certain period of time i would still think the employer would have to at the expiration of that contact you and say hey we need another note if they don't do that then you know they can't just take the position you've abandoned your job but as a best practice i would still maybe follow up at that point as far as uh, reaching out is concerned, 416-870-6400. you got lots of time just getting rolling here, and uh, you can give us your calls and questions, whether it's this or related to this matter we just spoke about or otherwise. could be vaccine mandates, whatever. We take them all here. At what point in this extended leave, and I know you've had lots of experience with this one, uh, Andrew, as far as employers pulling the trigger on what they call frustration of contract way too early when it's an extended medical leave, they figure they're not coming back and they're okay, out you go. I guess we'll never see you again. At what point can they do that? And when does that happen? Yeah. So it's a, it's a great point that you've just raised. So, I mean, for the listeners that, you know, have been around for a while, they're probably familiar with this concept of frustration of contract for those who are new to tuning into the show. Uh, what John is referring to frustration of contract is essentially a scenario where, you know, you as an employee, you're not making a decision to leave your job. You're not quitting. You're not resigning. Um, you're not, you know, taking a new job elsewhere and calling it a day. On the flip side of that, you're you as the employer, you're not terminating the employment. You're not making the decision. Hey, <clears throat> we're done with this person. We're firing them. Um, you know, they're no longer employed with us. What frustration of contract is is a scenario where due to kind of unforeseen circumstances that are outside of the control of either party and a common case is with a medical issue, right? If the employee gets a serious medical issue that renders them unable to work, you know, are they no longer able to perform their job? So, and is that going to be the case for the reasonably foreseeable future? 
So what happens in, in you know, the situations that you're addressing is, you know, someone will be off work for a year and an employer will say, oh, you know, you've been gone for a year, your contract's frustrated. I mean, if, if you were going to return, you would have done it within a year. A year is a very long time. Obviously, you're not going to do your job ever again. So we're just calling it a day. Um, you know, that's absolutely unacceptable. What an employer needs to do is canvas with the employee and ultimately mm -hmm. their, you know, medical advisors to say, hey, you know, this person's been off for a significant period of time. What is the likelihood that they will return in the reasonably foreseeable future? Or do you believe that they will not return in the reasonably foreseeable future? And if that doctor says, we don't think that this is the case and, and a couple of years have gone by, then sure, by all means, you can allege frustration of contract as the employer, in which case you would owe, in most instances, the employee with their minimum termination entitlements. But an, an employer has to get that information. <clears throat> they can't just simply rely on like the length of time you were off as evidence of you not being able to return. They still have to canvas. For all they know, you might have a surgery that you know you couldn't get for eight months in the future and you're just waiting for it. It doesn't mean you won't return. It means you just have to get that surgery. And on the other side, you very well could return. So time in and of itself isn't determinative. But uh, you know, if, if your employer ever brings up something like frustration or if you ever hear as an employee who's off work on medical leave, hey, you know, what's the likelihood you're going to return? We want your doctor to answer these questions. That's probably what the employer is driving at. And, you know, once again, you can give us a call in that yeah. situation and see if we can help. Got to take a quick break. Well, one more matter I want to talk to you about before we get into our topics for the uh, the evening, Andrew. And then it's up to you to uh, make those phone calls, 416-870-6400. Bring it on. Lines are open. Questions aplenty. If you got them, this is the night you want to get them answered by Andrew Goldberg, Sam Firu, Tamark, and LLP, the most positively reviewed employment law firm in the land. We'll continue. More Employment Law Show is on the way. Welcome back to the Employment Law Show. And welcome back to it. It is 721. That means you got lots of time to pick up a phone and join us. And uh, there you go. That is 416-870-6400 to call in and ask your questions. Andrew Goldberg is here answering them. Sam Firu, Tamark, and LLP. They have uh, helped tens of thousands of people across this country, coast to coast to coast, get the compensation they deserve for wrongful dismissals and otherwise. Do not hesitate to reach out to them. 1-855-821-5900, help at employmentlawyer.ca. And uh, again, now, though, the uh, the live calls, 416-870-6400. Lots of ground to cover tonight uh, with the remaining time we have, Andrew. But I know the second matter you wanted to uh, tuck into is uh, one that's really, really topical now. What is that, pal? Yeah, that would, that would be an understatement, I think, <laughs> and, uh, right now. But uh, the, what I wanted to discuss is the uh, truckers... Um, cross-border truckers uh, and uh, obviously the situation with, you know, their inability to cross the border uh, if they're unvaccinated without undergoing a 14-day quarantine. Obviously, there's huge protests and this is a pressing issue. Um, you know, I'm not going to kind of attack it from a, you know, pro-vaccine, anti-vaccine place right. because that's not really our jobs here. And, and, you know, we're very cognizant of that because you take personal opinions on things. It doesn't actually help you do your job. We're, we're really focused on like the legal entitlements 
And that's what I want to talk about very briefly of these um, drivers. And the reality is for many of them, because of the mandate uh, from the federal government, they can actually be let go from their jobs if they're unable to cross the border uh, due to these mandates in the event that they're unvaccinated. Um, and, you know, it's just the reality of the situation. It, it's not fortunate for these drivers. And, you know, they're, you can say what you want to say about kind of the, you know, maybe the moral fairness of it all. But the reality sure. of the situation is if you're an employer and the government is forcing you to um, have your drivers comply with the mandate, then you as the employer, you're not making a decision here. You're not deciding, hey, right. you're, you guys are all going to, or you people are all going to be vaccinated um, and that's it. No ifs, ands, or buts. They're just the messenger, right? And and there's nothing they can do in this situation. In many, many, many other situations, including uh, drivers who don't cross internationally, right? So there's, there's or through the border, through the states, um, you know, they might not necessarily at all fall under the purview of this mandate, in which case, if their employer um, mandates a mandatory vaccination and doesn't give them any alternatives, uh, they, they in that situation are likely owed severance. But those who cross the borders, you fall under the federal jurisdiction. The federal government has said, you know, this is what we're doing. You need to be vaccinated. So this in this situation, it's not something that falls under on the employer. And because of that, these drivers can be let go without severance. And uh, I just wanted to kind of let, you know, the listeners know that that's kind of the situation right now, because, you know, it's it's a serious decision um, that people have to make in terms of what they're going to do for work and vaccination yeah. or not vaccination. And sometimes in order to make these decisions, you need to have the information as to, you know, what you're facing and, and what could happen in, um, you know, in the event that you, you are unvaccinated. So, <clears throat> that's kind of what we're dealing with right now uh, from that perspective. And the, the ones that are, I guess, you know, outside the mandate or independent contractors, I mean, is it the same metric? Nothing's changed for them? Yeah. So, I mean, for those that fall outside of the mandate that aren't yeah. uh, part of, you know, a federally regulated employer, you know, nothing's changed from that perspective. If you are being forced to be vaccinated with no alternative, um, and the, you know, or the alternative being you're fired for cause, you get no severance yes. in that situation. So long as you're not under this federal mandate, you're, you certainly are entitled to a severance package in most instances. And that applies even for those who are independent contractors, you know, with drivers, that's kind of the, one of the mo most common situations where companies try to misclassify their workers as independent sure. contractors when they're actually employees, because they can hide behind you know, oh, but the driver owns his own truck. So, you know, therefore they're, they're obviously a contractor, but, but that's not the case. If you're working all your hours for this one employer, you're taking the routes that they tell you to take, um, you know, yeah, you're working the hours that they're telling you to work and doing the job that they're telling you to do. And you don't have a bunch of other customers in the sense that you're not driving for other companies, then you're almost certainly an employee. In which case, if you're let go, you have, uh, the, op the opportunity to pursue a severance package as well. And you even could be entitled to kind of unpaid overtime pay and, and vacation pay and things like that on top. 
Want to remind you any time to reach out to Andrew and his uh, capable team, right? one 821 5900 But here and now, open lines. We got them, 416-870-6400. You got lots of time to call in. Don't be bashful. Ask your questions. There is no bad questions. You're helping everybody when uh, you make the time to call in and uh, get them answered. Okay, moving on to this. First topic of the night. Can my employer, number one, can they let me go? Well, that's easily the most common question that I get as an employment lawyer is individuals come to me and they say, I didn't do anything wrong. You know, they're saying it's a restructuring or, um, you know, I was better than the next person or it's actually my boss who's, you know, the pain in the butt and they they don't see that. And and this is garbage. And, you know, my sales were amazing last year, whatever they're going to tell me about why they were a high performer. And this was just completely undeserved. Uh, from a personal perspective, and they ask me the same question. Why is it that they can let me go? Can they let me go? Is there anything you can do to get me my job back? And the almost always, the vast majority of the time, save for a few instances, an employer can let you go at any time, you know, lawfully, unlawfully, whether they owe you a severance, whether, you know, whatever the case might be, they can make that decision to let you go. The, the real question is now that they've made this decision, what are my entitlements, right? Like that is the big question that needs to be asked. So if you didn't do anything wrong to justify your dismissal, then, you know, the question is how much severance should I get, right? If you were let go because, you know, you feel you were discriminated against, um, or something of that nature, then not only would you be entitled to severance, but you can be entitled to severance and human rights damages. So, you know, there's nothing very, 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 very little I could ever do as an employment lawyer to prevent the employer from actually letting you go from your job. But the manner in which they do so certainly can impact your entitlements. And that's what you want to be asking. 416-870-6400. If any of this uh, rings familiar, you got questions about it. Can my employer make me work? Oh, overtime hours. Well, that, that's going to be a standard that depends scenario, <laughs> <laughs> as is many of uh, kind of the situations that come up in this in this world. But, you know, if you hadn't previously worked overtime hours, and this is a new, you know, kind of imposition by the employer, if you used to work 40 hours a week all the time, no problem, your employer is saying, you know, hey, we're busier, we need you to work an extra, you know, two hours per day for the next bunch of months. Um, you know, unless there's something in your contract that gives the employer the right to increase your number of hours, which, you know, can exist, but very rarely does it exist, then no, the employer can't force you to work the overtime hours. The imposition of these additional hours could, you know, be the basis of you as an employee saying, I've been constructively dismissed because my employment was always that I work 40 hours a week. I'm not agreeing to work 50 hours a week. And that's especially the case if you have childcare obligations or, you know, some kind of medical reasons to be home or things of that nature. If, if the employer has to accommodate that, then certainly they can't force you to work those overtime hours. You want to reach out to Andrew, by the way, help at employmentlawyer.ca. If you want to have a, a more of a private conversation through email, help at employmentlawyer.ca. There's also the website that has so much information, pocketemploymentlawyer.ca. It's free. It's anonymous. You can't beat it, right? We're going through some talking points of can my employer do this? Can they do that? Can they make me come back to work contrary to my doctor's opinion? How about that one? Well, this is the one that comes up all the time. And, uh, you know, there's a situation where you as an employee – 
your doctor's saying that you should be off work, you have medical issues, those medical issues require you to be off at this time, um, and the employer, for whatever reason, is taking the position that, you know, no, you need to come back, and we, we want you to come back, and we're going to make you come back. Um, sometimes that arises simply because the employer is just, you know, doesn't care about the employee's medical situation and just cares about their bottom line is just trying to pressure them to come back. Sometimes what happens, and we see this very often, is an employee who's off work and their doctor says that they should be off work. They then apply for short-term disability or long-term disability. They don't get approved for the disability coverage and the employer takes that rejection to say, well, the disability provider rejected you for your short or long-term disability payments, so obviously you can work, right? Even though your yeah. doctor's saying you can't work. But that's just so far from the truth. These insurance companies, they're assessing you know, their payments to you on a completely different standard than whether you can just simply work or not work in accordance with one doctor's note and what that means. Um, and their denial of your disability coverage has no bearing on anything. It's right. a simple, simple, simple bottom line. If your doctor continues to maintain that you need to be off work for medical reasons um, and you're getting that update from your doctor and you're providing that communication to the employer to substantiate that that's the case, then absolutely not. The employer cannot make you come back to work. But what is going to be critical is that you do get that medical documentation. You can't make that decision on your own without the doctor's support. How about the uh, whole thing when it comes back to work and the end, the employer says, you know, we, we'd like to know what's wrong with you, the, you know, the diagnosis versus prognosis argument, right? Right. So there's a lot of medical information that the employer is not going to be entitled to, especially at what we call the first instance, right? So what I mean by that is at the point of time where you're asking to take time off work or you're asking for accommodation or something like that, the employer's ability to ask for certain medical information is going to be very, very restricted and limited. And one of the key things that the employer cannot ask for is your diagnosis. Like, what is wrong with you? What do you suffer from? And the reason for that is because it's entirely irrelevant, right? If you're an employer, you care about the following things. Can this person work or not work? If they can work, Sorry, can they work or not work due to medical reasons, whatever's wrong with them? If mm -hmm. they can work, do I have to, do they have any limitations or restrictions? Maybe they can't lift a certain amount of weight. Maybe they can't work more than a certain number of hours per day. Whatever the case might be that you as an employer have to be mindful of because you have an obligation to accommodate that. If an employee says, I can only work four hours a day, that's relevant to you as an employer because you have to make sure that you can try to find them work for four hours a day. But the fact that they have, you know, whatever underlying illness, colitis or, you know, whatever is wrong with them, and that's, that's what's leading to the li limited number of hours, has no bearing on how the employer has to go about making sure that they are accommodated. It, it, it does not change the analysis at all. And it's very invasive to give that information if you're an employee. The same thing would apply to your treatment as well. The employer can't ask, what treatment are you taking? What medications? They can just yeah. simply ask, do you have a treatment plan in place? And are you complying with it? That's all they need to know. Are, are, is your doctor put something in place for you? Are you working towards recovery? That's all they need to know. So. It, this is one of these key situations as well, where if you're an employee and you're hesitant to respond, 
um, give us a call. It can't hurt. Uh, and, and we're certainly happy to walk you through that. Just getting through some uh, some basic questions. You know, can my employer do this? And Andrew gets uh, pretty much on a weekly, if not a daily basis through phone calls or emails or otherwise. This one I know sticks in the craw with a lot of people when it comes to their job. They they snoop around and they, they figure, you know, hey, I'm not getting the same rate of pay for the same job as, you know, the guy next to me, so on and so forth. So can my employer pay me less than other employees? In many situations, the answer to that question is surprisingly yes, that they can pay you yeah. less than other employees. I mean, if if you and I have an interview, you know, let's say to be the you know, and in the perfect world, the Toronto Raptors general manager, which sounds like a fun job right now. And, <laughs> you know, and um, say, for example, or say the assistant general, they're hiring two assistant general managers and they interview both you and I. We go to the interviews and they say, you know, we'll offer each of you 150 grand to take this job. And I go back to them and I say, perfect. This is a dream job. I do this for free at this point. No problem. Sign me up. You, on the other hand, you know, all the teams around the league want you. You have other options. So you say, hey, I don't want 150. I want 200. If the employer agrees hmm. and we both start that job and you get paid 200 and I get paid 150, nothing wrong with that at all. You just simply negotiated better pay than I did. Where it becomes a problem is if the difference in pay relates to, you know, a, is discriminatory in nature, for example, right? So if, if for pay equity issues, for example, if, if, if women are paid across the board less than men in the same position, that's going to be problematic. If, you know, all people from one religion or gender or ethnicity find that they're paid, you know, across the board less than their counterparts who, you know, are from a different religion or ethnicity or gender or something like that, then once again, that's going to be problematic. But simply by yeah. virtue of a you know one person getting paid more than another, that in and of itself is not problematic. Uh, you know, you just have to be mindful of negotiating a pay that you feel you're worth. Again, this next question I know you've been getting lately over the last uh, you know well, I would I would venture to say over a year probably, but even today you probably got some of this. Is can my employer close down shop and then avoid paying me any severance? Well, they can certainly try, <laughs> and that's yeah. what we see see very often, right? Is um, employers, especially that have multiple locations, they'll close down a location, and they'll have this kind of crazy corporate s- structure where different entities own different, you know, locations. But really, it's all part and parcel of the same enterprise. And they'll say, "Oh, well, we closed down that location. That that location has no money, so you're you're out of luck here." But the reality is just because the look, you know, your, your place of business closes down has no bearing on whether or not you're entitled to severance. You remain entitled to severance. And if the employer tries something shady, like, you know, moving money around so that, you know, you can't get the severance money from the company you work for, like the kind of on paper company you work yeah. for, because they're moving the money out of that, you know, specific corporation, there are laws in place to kind of go after um, what we call the conveyances to the other entities to make sure that, you know, you get paid what's rightfully yours. I mean, there are some, you know, situations, some sad situations where if you do have maybe a small mom and pop shop, six, eight people, 10, 10 person employer, and they legitimately do go bankrupt and have no money at all. 
Um, you, you know, you can't get blood from a stone and at the end of the day that might shut it down. But in the vast majority of cases, there's still going to be assets in the company. They're still going to have a building and equipment and machinery and, and they have to unwind the thing. So the, the key in that situation, if you're an individual who's let go due to the closing of your uh, workplace is you want to get on that as quickly as possible before they make moves to kind of move money around, uh, to your detriment. Still got some time, 416-870-6400, and we'll get to this last one. Kind of, I guess I saved the most, uh, the biggest question for last, and this one's super common, especially now. Can my employer lay me off temporarily? Yeah, I mean, there, there's probably more people laid off, you know, anecdotally in the last two years than, I don't know, maybe the last 10 years before that combined, yeah. right? Uh, you know, maybe in 08 a bit uh, during the economic downturn, there was some there, but this has just been you know, just, just waves and waves of people on temporary layoffs. And, you know, when the pandemic first started, there were all these employers kind of reacting to what the unknown, right? They're like, Oh, you know, we don't know what's going to happen with COVID. And so we're going to lay a bunch of people off temporarily uh, just to be safe. Um, and then some employers were just taking advantage of COVID trying to say it was COVID related, but they're just trying to get pe- rid of people um, that they always were kind of gunning to get rid of. And more recently, what we're seeing is when employers are mandating uh, vaccination policies and there's mandatory vaccination requirements, those who remain unvaccinated, they're now being put on a temporary layoff until either they you know, are vaccinated in some instances, if at all, or the situation changes, or sometimes the employer just says, you know, we're going to lay you off and at some point we'll permanently terminate you. But the reality of the situation is unless the employer has a right to put you on a temporary layoff, and that right would come from either a contract, you know, your contract can say, if we, you know, we can lay you off temporarily in accordance with the employment standards legislation, or in situations where you've been laid off multiple times in the past without refuting it and continue to come back and it becomes a normal part of your job, in those two instances, they can say, hey, we kind of have the right to lay you off contractually, whether in writing or implied through conduct, and that's fine. But that's very seldom the case. And in, in every other situation, pretty much, that temporary layoff, if you choose to pursue a claim, uh, gives rise to a claim for constructive dismissal. So to say that they didn't have the right to put you on the temporary layoff at all, and you're treating that like a termination and pursuing a severance package. Um, so well, so that's what we're dealing with there. I want to slide into a couple of emails we got here. Again, help at employmentlawyer.ca. Not just during the show. Anytime you can use that email address for Andrew and his, uh, his team. Uh, Mustafa says, guys, my employer decided not to renew my 12-month contract again for a fourth time. Uh, I am getting a week's pay per year of service, which is nice, but I always thought that two weeks pay was the norm. Should I ask for more than that extra week? Yeah, so I mean it's an interesting situation because what I think Mustafa is driving at is um, whether he's owed more money because he's on, you know, his fourth contract as opposed to his first. Right. So what we see in these situations time and time again is an employer will give an employee a fixed term contract for let's say six months a year, and then they'll just renew it every year, renew it a third time, a fourth time, a fifth time. What our our legal system in Ontario and you know, other parts of the country as well have found is that 
if you have a series of these fixed term contracts, you know, a court's not going to allow you to get away with saying, oh, you're just a one year employee, um, you know, Mr. Smith, because you're on this 12 month contract. No, if it's their fourth contract, then they'll be found to be a four year employee. And they're, you know, the court's going to look right through the kind of that facade that is having a series of contracts. If it was as easy as having a series of contracts, every single employer would do it to try right. to avoid ha- their employees, get, you know, gaining tenure in service with the company. Um, by no stretch of the imagination is that the case. And with Mustafa, he could be owed, depending on the circumstances, you know, upwards of a month per year of service, uh, more than the two weeks pay that you know, he indicated was the norm. So, uh, you know, perfect, perfect case that we deal with all the time. And this is a great, um, you know, situation for Mustafa to give one of our legal professionals at our firm a call to help, you know, determine his entitlements and see what we can do to help. Let's get uh, Tara there as well. Tara says, hey, guys, I'm pretty sure my boss is going to fire me this week. I know uh, to contact uh, I know to contact, I should contact your firm before accepting any severance, but what about overtime pay? I've tracked years of overtime work that I was never paid for. Can I still get them to pay that as well? And that's a great question. And that's another circumstance that comes up often is that, you know, employees, sometimes they don't want to stir the boat, you know, while they're working at a company. They know they're working overtime. They might think to themselves, hey, you know, I might have a claim here. Um, but I don't want to lose my job and I don't want to piss off my boss. So I'm just going to kind of let it go. But then lo and behold, they're fired. And then they say, I don't care about them anymore. They just fired me. So maybe I'll pursue this overtime pay. Can I do that? And, you know, the reality is as long as you qualify for overtime pay, so you don't fall in one of the exemptions, which applies to managers and some commission uh, salespeople and some professionals, but the vast majority of individuals do get overtime pay. And, and the reality is, yes, if you've tracked your overtime pay and that, you know, has been within a two year period um, that you're owed the pay, or at least, you know, the last bit of overtime pay is owing at minimum, then you can pursue a claim to get that amount on top of your severance. But um, once again, you know, I would, it's going to be situational as to whether you should uh, pursue that, you know, as part of your severance claim and that might be enable you to go back even further than two years. So that's something you certainly want to speak to an employment lawyer about. And that'll pretty much do it for a Monday night. Thanks for uh, for tuning in. Thanks for the emails as well. You want to reach out now to Andrew afterwards? Do so. one 821 Emails help at employmentlawyer.ca and the free and anonymous website. Chock full O employment learning. How about that? pocketemploymentlawyer.ca it's free severance pay calculators wrapped up into that sucker as well so use that and we'll come back here Wednesday night and do it all again but go nowhere Alex Pearson on point returns next